Matthew chapter number 6. Lord willing, uh, we're going to uh, have five Sunday afternoons uh, God will allow us to, and we're going to focus on the subject of prayer, and uh, each of them, uh, each lesson will be on a different aspect of our prayer lives. And uh, this afternoon we're going to start with the general requirements that the Bible lays out regarding prayer, uh, that these are kind of some general things that don't fit into some of the other categories and are kind of a, um, a good introductory point, a good place to start with regards to prayer. It's amazing that prayer is probably one of the most powerful uh, things that is at our disposal as Christians, and yet one of the most neglected. Even though we pray, and a lot of times many of us pray every day, uh, it's amazing how often we face things in our life that we ought to pray for, that we don't take the time to stop and pray for. Uh, I don't know about you, but one of the, the problems I face a lot of times is I'm always in such a hurry, and I'm busy. And when something comes up, it's so easy to just go ahead and deal with it and not stop and take time to pray about it. And I'll tell you this, I've lived to regret those times many, many times. And uh, God has a way of reminding us of that, doesn't he, uh, often. And uh, so I want to look at some things. Uh, we got six... Uh, things we'll look at this morning, or this afternoon, I guess, and then, Lord willing, if God will allow the next four weeks, we'll deal with some more specific things regarding our prayer life, and uh, hope it'll be a help to you and a blessing to you. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 6, <clears throat> and uh, it's interesting to me that out of all the things that the disciples asked the Lord to teach them, it was prayer. Uh, they didn't ask the Lord to teach them how to win souls. They didn't ask the Lord to teach them how to tithe or to attend church. But they asked him, Lord, how would you teach us, or would you teach us to pray? And again, so important that we find that. In uh, chapter number 6, we'll begin in verse number 5 so we can <coughs> read what the Lord teaches about it. We're going to focus in uh, on a couple of points in this particular passage and when thou prayest, and I just want to stop there for a moment, this is not one of the points, but I do want to say this from the onset, that the, the implication of prayer is an understood thing. It's something that uh, God doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. And so it's something that is expected. This is the norm of the Christian life. Uh, so often uh, we think we go above and beyond the call of duty sometimes in our life, don't we? You know, uh, Romans chapter 12 talks about, uh, giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we think, boy, that's, that's extraordinary. No, the Bible says that's just our reasonable service. That's just kind of the norm. And when I say prayer, when we talk about prayer, that's just assumed. Christians are going to pray. Uh, it's part of it. When you become a child of God, you want to spend time with Him. You want to talk with Him. And uh, uh, certainly uh, Jesus even implies that here in verse number 5. He says, And when thou prayest, <coughs> thou shalt not be... As the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Now, by the way, he's not condemning them standing to pray, nor is he condemning them being in the synagogues, nor is he condemning them for the corner of the streets. He's condemning them for their heart condition on the inside here. Their desire is that they are seen of men and they are not concerned at all with the prayer. They're more concerned about what do men think about the act that they are doing right then, the prayer that they're offering. And so uh, don't misunderstand that. Uh, some people use that verse to say, well, you ought never be standing when you pray. 
But yet we'll find that uh, as we study about prayer that there are times that people uh, stand and pray and there's nothing wrong with that. So he's not speaking of the standing, he's not speaking of the location so much as he is the heart of the issue. That their, that their desire is uh, to have men see them do this. But thou, when thou prayest. So he's giving a contrast here between the hypocrites and his disciples. And he's saying, don't be as the hypocrites. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we pray that you'll bless. Speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the requirements that God puts on this, that Jesus in his earthly ministry and teaching on prayer puts on prayer, is found in verse number 14 and verse number 15. And that is that we need to be such of of having a forgiving spirit. In fact, the Bible teaches us that if we come to the altar and we find that, or we remember that our brother has aught against us, that we're to go and to make that right. Uh, We're to have a forgiving nature. And the idea being that we're not to come to God while we are harboring things in our life uh, that is of a non-forgiving nature. And he goes on to explain this in verse number uh, uh, 15. He says, But if you forgive not men their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. And again, the idea being that when we come to the Lord and pray, uh, we are not to be hypocritical about it. If we're asking God to uh, deliver us from people that uh, trespass against us, then we ought to be willing to forgive those that we've or to not trespass against others and to forgive those that have trespassed against us. And uh, so we need to understand that one of the requirements uh, for praying is that we have a forgiving spirit. I believe this is one of the things that many times will quench or hinder the Holy Spirit of God from doing what He wants to through our prayer life. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are times that when I come to the Lord in prayer... Uh, you can almost sense that God's presence is right there. And then there are other times that I pray and it seems like, Lord, where are you at? I'm not even sure if you hear me. And I don't know if anybody else feels that way or not or understands those things. But suffice to say that there are things that oftentimes will creep into our lives and some of it we are aware of, some of it we're not aware of. Some of it we have to stop and think for a minute, why is this? That we seem to be quenching the Holy Spirit of God in the area of our praying. Uh, I've got a book that I read years ago that literally was probably one of the best books on prayer uh, and uh, was transforming uh, to my prayer life. It wasn't a large book. It was only a few pages long. In fact, I bought several copies of it several years ago and handed it out to a lot of our members here on uh, Daniel Nash, The Prevailing Prince of Prayer. 
If you ever have an opportunity to read that book, how many of you still have that, a copy of that book? Any of you that I handed out? Okay. Look around. You can see that. You might be able to borrow a copy from them. If not, I may try to get a few more copies. But really the truth is we, we pray in the day that we live, we pray so hollow and really we don't know what it is to labor in prayer. And um, as I read that book on Daniel Nash and his prayer life, God brought some great conviction to my heart. Because we have the tendency to go through the uh, habit of praying and we have our, our kind of our set way of praying. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, we use phrases maybe even that we've heard other people use. Um, and we have a tendency to go through kind of a repetitious type of methodology. Prayer becomes um, uh, almost thoughtless. Have you noticed that? We'll get a, not, not every case, but there are times and there's a, a tendency when we have a prayer list before us that we just literally go down the list as we name them, and there's no heart involved in the praying. I think that one of the things, you know, we've taught this even when it comes to our giving, that we ought not to just give methodically, well, to give as the Holy Spirit leads us, and to be sensitive to that. I think the same thing holds true to our prayer life, that when we come to the Lord in prayer, we examine ourselves as we're praying and say, Lord, are there things that are going to hinder this time? That I'm spending with you. Am I holding something against someone? Have I not forgiven someone? Have I, have I had these problems in my life that are quenching the Holy Spirit from doing what He longs to do through my praying? And so often we come to God in prayer and we don't give any thought to are we ready for praying? Is our heart prepared? Is everything right between me and the Savior? Is my relationship right to Him? <clears throat> before we come to Him to seek for that leading. So I believe one of the first things that we're taught here as Jesus teaches His disciples is that we examine ourselves and we look into our own hearts and find out, do we have a forgiving spirit? Do we have a forgiving spirit? <clears throat> I will say this. I find in verse number 6 also that it says, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. My Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And I, I, I firmly believe this, and I believe that this is what Jesus is speaking of here. We're going to talk about some of the types of praying, Lord willing, next week. But I believe that one of the greatest and most powerful parts of our praying is what we would call private praying. I'm not against public praying. I think there's a time and a place for that. But our public praying will never be what it ought to be if our private time with the Lord is never what it is, what it should be. This time of, of getting alone with God. <coughs> People don't need to see us. We don't need to set a timer on it. Uh, I, was, I was watching one preacher here a few months ago. He was teaching on, preach, uh, on prayer. And he uh, was doing a, uh, kind of a, uh, an example of how we typically pray. And uh, Lord, bless, uh, bless the missionaries and, and all the ones that we support. Bless... Our church and uh, those that are sick, those that are in the hospitals. And, uh, Father, we ask that you bless our families and uh, our country and the mess that it's in, all the things there. And, Father, bless all the requests that we mentioned in, in church. And, uh, all right, 30 more seconds. Uh, let's see, what else can I pray for? And that typically, 
sums up sometimes how we pray. It's interesting to me that when when our private time with God uh, happens, we are not concerned about the clock. We are not concerned about flowery speech, using the right phrases, using the, 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 the things that we've heard others pray. We just simply talk with God. We, we spend time with Him. And I want to encourage us in this that the important part of our prayer life be our private time with God. I'm all for family devotions. I think family devotions are very important. I think husband and wife ought to pray together. I think the families, uh, parents and children ought to pray together. But can I tell you this? If all we ever do is pray with our spouse or pray with our children, we're missing a big part of our prayer life. There needs to be a private time with God. There needs to be a time where we get alone with God personally and spend time with Him. He he speaks about this with His disciples in verse number 6. And He tells them that they need to go into their closet in verse number 6. And the Bible says, And shut thy door and pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And so I I think that there needs to be a time of private prayer. Uh, Number two, I would say this. Private prayer was not a point, by the way. That was just following up with some general things. The second thing, besides having a forgiving spirit, I believe we find also in verses 5 and 6. And that is that there be a simplicity to our prayer. We've talked a little bit about that already, that we tend to have flowery speech when we pray publicly. Uh, I've heard um, it was said of of Daniel Nash, if you ever read the book, uh, The Prevailing Prince of Prayer, it was said of Daniel Nash the first time that uh, Charles Finney heard him pray publicly. Charles Finney said it was an unremarkable occurrence. He said, I walked into the tabernacle and Brother Nash was up there at the pulpit praying. And he said he was looking around and and praying in his prayer. And Brother Finney said this. He said, I wondered who he was talking to. He said, it certainly didn't seem like it was to God. And it's amazing how often sometimes we get in our prayer times we are around other people, and we begin to pray, and we think that we have to have these complex prayers, or they have to be flowery prayers, or they have to use certain language. Um, It's interesting, (coughs) as I I hear different people pray for their meals, how often they use similar language. Uh, I've heard the phrase, you know, bless the food in the hands that have prepared it. You know, and I, I, I think that's a great thing to pray, but are we saying that as a repetitious thing that we've already heard somebody else say, and are we just saying it for the sake of sounding good when we pray? Or are we spending time with God while we pray? There ought to be a simplicity to it, and he speaks of that a little bit here in verse number 6. He says, when thou prayest, enter in thy closet, uh, and uh, that the Father, thy Father which is in secret, uh, shall see which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly, and he says. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard by their much speaking. And so there ought to be a simplicity to it. God knows what we have need of before we ask, and it doesn't need to be flowery. We're not anybody here think we can impress God? <laughs> you you think, boy, I'm going to get up and I'm going to wax eloquent on my prayer today, and God is going to be impressed with my praying. It doesn't happen that way, does it? 
We're not impressing him. We're just simply bearing our heart to him. We're giving him our burden. We're laying it at his feet. He already knows what we have need of. Get this. He already knows what the outcome is going to be. There needs to be simplicity in our praying. A directness with God. A frankness with God. Number three. uh, Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18. And uh, let's look in verse number 10. Luke chapter 18, verse number 10. It's a familiar story (coughs) of two men that went up to the temple to pray. The Bible says in verse number 10. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Publican was the worst of the worst. Uh, Matthew was a publican. Uh, He was a tax collector. Uh, These were known as crooked uh, men that were dishonest, of ill repute. Nobody liked them. And uh, certainly would be a sinner by every aspect of the phrase. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can I say this? When it comes to praying, there needs to be a spirit of humility and repentance. There needs to be a spirit of humility and repentance. I am thankful that Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. But can I tell you this? We should never mistake boldness with arrogance. We should never mistake boldness of coming to God with the fact that God owes us anything. We don't demand things of God. I've heard men stand up and say, I, I, you know, I demand you, God, to do this. I, I command you. you. You've promised this, so I, I'm taking you on your promise. And God, I, I'm commanding you. We don't command God to do a thing. You know what? If God wanted to, He could change His mind. And it wouldn't matter to us because He's God. He's got that right. But how often do we come in prayer and we have a prideful spirit? I have done this, Lord. I am coming to you in prayer. I have served you. I, I attend church. I'm not like those ones that don't attend church. I, I have tithed. I'm not like the ones that don't tithe. I I have taught a Sunday school class. I have done this. I have done that. I'm not like those. Can I tell you this? There's not one of us here that wasn't a sinner that was saved by the grace of God. And when we come to God in prayer, there needs to be a spirit of boldness, yes, but of humility. That there be a boldness that is tempered by a sense of repentance. That we have no no right of ourselves to ask God and expect Him to answer anything. Anything that we expect God to do, we expect Him to do because He said He would do it, not because we deserve it. So number three, there needs to be a humility and a repentance. Number four, back to Matthew chapter number 18, if you will. Matthew chapter number 18. When it comes to our prayer life, there needs to be a unity of spirit. Look with me, if you will. In Matthew chapter number 18 and verse number 19, Jesus says this, Again, I say unto you that if 
two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, and it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together <coughs> in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Can I tell you this, that there needs to be a spirit of unity among the brethren. And while I believe that this speaks also of the fact that two or three people are physically in each other's presence and praying and probably dealing here with public prayer, I also believe that it deals more so and even even strongly so with the unity of heart of all of them being in agreement of one accord, of one mind. When we begin to pray for God's will to be done, that we pray according to what is a spirit of unity in our church. That there be, I, I, I shared earlier in the, in the 11 o'clock message about the time that it says to pray for our enemies and how when I was younger, uh, my prayer was, Lord, get them. <laughs> you know, that's not a spirit of unity. A spirit of unity is when we come together and we agree on something to be God's will and we begin to pray for it together. And I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that when it comes to the time of prayer, that there is a, uh, I hate to call this a requirement, but there is at least an encouragement that there be multiple folks that are in one agreement, of one mind, of one accord. We find that in the early church, the book of Acts, there were at least 120 of them that gathered in an upper room. They were all of one accord, the Bible says. And they prayed, the Bible says. And we find that one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit of God happened to that small group of people who met together in one accord and prayed. That the Holy Spirit of God came upon them and the day of Pentecost came and 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. Shortly after, another 4,000 were saved and added to the church. And the Bible says daily, there was added to the church such as should be saved. And I will say this, that I believe that we miss some of the power of God when we do not come together to pray in one accord with the unity of spirit. One of the things that I believe quickly will quench the Holy Spirit of God is when there is discord among the brethren, when there is disagreement. And I'm not saying that uh, we have to agree on the color of the paint or the color of the carpet. But when it comes to the matters of God's will, we need to be in agreement on those things. We need to know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we need to pray accordingly. We need to know that God expects us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we need to pray accordingly. We know that God expects us to be holy and to live separated lives. And we need to pray accordingly. We, we know that God expects us to be growing in the grace and the knowledge. Uh, one for another, we ought to be praying accordingly. Lifting each other's burdens up. Praying for the will of God to be done. And so there needs to be a unity of the believers. Number five, Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. And uh, we'll look at verse number 24. Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> We'll back up to verse number 22. Uh, we'll back up to verse 20 so we can get the, the full context of it. 
And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up by the, from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. <coughs> we understand that in order to be in agreement with Scripture, that the things that we pray for need to be in line with the will of God. And God is certainly, if it's within His will, God is desirous that those prayers be answered. And so when we pray according to the will of God and we pray for these things, the Bible teaches us that there needs to be a confidence in prayer. That there is an expectation. Uh, we've taught on this recently, how often uh, when God answers our prayers, we're amazed by it. You ever notice that? We come into church and we say, boy, you're just not going to... I came in a couple weeks ago with the whole idea of the, the computer and the camera. And I was like, you're not going to believe what happened. Well, why not? When we pray for God to do something, why are we surprised when He does it? Is it because we lack faith when we pray? I believe that if we had faith when we prayed, we would pray with confidence. Again, not to mistake it with arrogance, not to mistake it with the fact that God owes it to us, but knowing that He has promised this to us, to pray by faith and expect... We ought to be surprised if God doesn't answer that prayer. When Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and prayed for the fire to fall, I bet if that fire hadn't fallen, he'd have been really surprised. But you know we don't find anywhere in Scripture where he was surprised that it did fall? Not once. It's amazing how often we pray and we lack the confidence in prayer. We need to have a forgiving spirit. We need to have prayer of simplicity. We need to have humility and repentance. There needs to be unity among the believers. We need to have confidence in praying. And then lastly, I find in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, <clears throat> and verse number 17. Very long passage of Scripture, very difficult to memorize. This is probably one of the hard verses to memorize because of how long it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 17. How many of you already have it memorized? All right, didn't take long, did it? Pray without what? Ceasing. Requirement of prayer. That we pray without ceasing. We're not speaking here of, of getting in your prayer closet when you wake up in the morning and when you're finally ready to go to bed at night, you finally walk out of your prayer closet and you've not done anything throughout the day except pray. But what we're speaking of here, what Paul is teaching, is that there be a spirit of prayer. That there be a comfort in praying in the sense that we can enter into and leave our time with God throughout the day seamlessly with our day. I've shared before about Spurgeon and how his friends felt like they could never tell when he was speaking with God and when he was speaking with them. And that ought to be how comfortable we are in prayer with God. Again, not an arrogance, not, not thinking uh, less of God, 
certainly a reverence there, but knowing that He has given us the ability to come to Him directly in prayer and that we can do it at any moment throughout the day for any reason throughout the day. In fact, I believe we don't come to God nearly enough throughout our day for even small things. Years ago, I was uh, helping my father-in-law at the time uh, work on his car, and uh, there was a... uh, a small screw that we needed to put a, a plastic panel on the top. It was getting towards dusk and dark and really hard to see. We had a little flashlight out and gave out a, you know how flashlights are. They're never bright when you need them. The batteries are about dead. I, I, you can put brand new batteries in a flashlight and then you need it an hour later and the batteries will be dead, especially if you have a son that lives in your house. And uh, we, uh, were, we were working on this car and we were putting it all back together. And uh, just that was the last screw we had to put in place. And just as we were trying to put it in, the, the screwdriver slipped, and that screw fell and went down into the motor somewhere. We have no idea where it went. We're looking and looking and looking. I bet we looked for five, five, eight, ten minutes maybe looking for this thing and getting more frustrated as the moments are going by because it's getting darker and darker outside. And um, all of a sudden I thought, you know, we haven't prayed about this. And I asked my father, and I said, why don't we pray about it? So we bowed our heads, and we prayed. And somehow, during that prayer, an angel from heaven came down and picked that screw up and laid it right on top where we could see it. Because literally, when we opened our eyes, the moment we opened our eyes, our eyes landed right on the screw. We picked it up, put the thing back together. You look at that, and you say, Brother Greg, that's such a silly thing, a small little thing. I wonder how many times we miss the opportunity to pray throughout the day because we don't come to Him with everything. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe the Lord was right. Do you think He was correct when He said pray without ceasing? He might have had a good idea there, perhaps. Maybe he said, you know, that in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Maybe he was right about that, do you think? And yet, one of the probably the, the biggest failures is we don't come to him with everything. You know how excited we would get if we saw double the answer to prayers from what we already see? You know, we probably could if we'd prayed double. You know what James said about asking and receiving? He said, you have not because you what? Because you ask not. Do you think we could take that verse to mean that if we asked for more, God would answer more? What do you think that would do to a Christian's life? What do you think that would do to our heart of revival? What do you think that would do to our love for Him? Next time the Church has a time for a testimony. What do you think that would do? Oh, I can't. Oh, I got one, Pastor. You won't believe this. <laughs> it's amazing. I love when Miss Kim gives her testimony sometimes. It takes a half an hour, but I love it anyway. Because you know why? She thanks God for the small. And, and I'm not just trying to build her up. She, she thanks God for somebody bringing her coffee. You say, Brother Greg, that's, 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 that's small. That's good. Well, not if we prayed for it. That'd be an exciting answer to prayer, wouldn't it? We're to pray continually. 
for all things. I think so often we miss a lot of our praying throughout the day because we're simply just too busy. We don't stop to think, should I pray about this? This decision i got to make right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, this past week, I, I guarantee you there was at least a dozen decisions a day that I made. And I got to the end of the day and I thought, you know, I didn't pray about one of those. And I look back and I thank, the, I thank God that He orders our lives many times in spite of that. But wouldn't it be far better if He would answer prayer because we, we took the time to pray? To say, Lord, I need your, I need, I've got to make this decision. What should I do? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm battling a very big decision even today. Very big decision. And uh, have been praying about it. Because I could have made the decision really quick done what I wanted to do, but I need to know what God wants for it. And um, so I think we need to be praying continually and unceasingly. So I hope that will help you. That just kind of gets us started. <coughs> General requirements of praying, things that the Bible teaches regarding our prayer life. And uh, Lord willing, the next four weeks we'll have other topics on prayer and see what the Bible has to say about it. And hopefully it will help our, our prayer life a little bit. All right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We do pray that it will bless our hearts and teach us and encourage us along the way. We thank you for giving guidance that it has the answers for all of our questions regarding decisions that we have to make. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more conscious of coming to you in prayer for things that are needful, decisions that are needing to be made. Lord, I wish that even in young people's lives, and I think back to all the decisions I had to make, that they would seek for your wisdom. And the truth is, as we get older and we become adults, those decisions become more and more. And some of them are much more weighty than the ones we had when we were younger. And if anything, we need to come to you more, more often, and sensitive to your leading in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help to revolutionize our praying, that we would be men and women of prayer, to know in uh, accordance to your will what you would have for us to do each and every day. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name.